Have you used game-based learning in your classroom? Can gaming actually improve learning outcomes? In this episode of the STEM Space, I chat with renowned game-based learning expert and Texas A&M University professor, Andre Thomas. I actually met Andre as a classmate in an educational statistics course, and I was fascinated by his more than 25 years of experience in graphics and gaming. His career started in the movie industry, creating graphics for movies like Men in Black, then moved into the world of graphics for games like Madden NFL. He now uses those experiences to develop immersive games to teach educational content like calculus. We discuss his background, how to engage students in the gaming industry, and ways for teachers to leverage game-based learning in their classrooms. Enjoy. Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Natasha. From college roommates to co-founders of Vivify STEM, pull up a seat as we discuss our experiences as aerospace engineers, teachers, moms, program directors, curriculum writers, graduate students, and friends. This is the STEM Space Podcast. Welcome everyone, Natasha here, and I'm actually going to be flying solo here on the STEM Space for a little bit because my co-host Claire is out on maternity leave, and I am so excited to see her little one. But for today's episode, I have a special guest, Andre Thomas, who's actually a classmate, but he's not an ordinary graduate student. So before I bring Andre on, I want to just share some of his really impressive background. So Andre has more than 25 years in CGI production. He's worked around the world on legendary video games, live action feature films, and commercials. Previously, he was head of graphics for EA Sports football games, including Madden, the longest running and most successful sports franchise in the games industry. Andre has also created graphics for such notable films as Men in Black, Con Air, Independence Day, Ant Bully, and Tomorrow Never Dies. In 2014, he founded Triceum, where he serves as CEO and leads the creation of its award-winning academic video games. He's also founder and director of the Live Lab at Texas A&M University, where he teaches game design, game development, interactive graphic techniques. Welcome to the STEM space, Andre. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and... I was excited to bring you on because when we were talking in our stats class, I kind of got to know a little bit of your background and your passion for game-based learning, which is something that comes up from our teachers a lot. You know, how do we gamify the education experience? And so I definitely want to cover that. But first, I just read a lot of your bio and your kind of really fascinating career story. So let's start there. How did you get into this industry, into the gaming industry? Oh, wow. Uh, the game, I got into the gaming industry through the movies um, because when I um, wanted to get into gaming, I couldn't. And so I ended up doing movies instead of doing games first. Usually it's the other way around where people um, used to go games first because I couldn't get in the movie industry and then go to the movie industry. And I got into the movie industry um, I'm really kind of by accident. So when I was a teenager, I built my first computer. And, you know, the moment I had it, I started doing something with it, not just playing games, but creating graphics. And I really enjoyed that. And uh, this was back in, you know, in Germany when I was growing up. So in the early 90s, I moved to L.A. and I was um, playing rugby in, in L.A. And one of my teammates 
and say like came to me and said, oh, you know, I, you know something about computers. It's like, yeah, I, I do. Uh, I've got this um, studio over here. This friend of mine, he has this company. He's looking for somebody to help him on the computer side. It's like, sure, I'm interested. So I went and saw um, him and so a small little studio. And the owner came to me and said like, okay, well, here's a computer. Here's a, an image. I like you to do that on the computer. Go ahead and do. And the, the, that was <laughs> essentially my interview. <laughs> so I sat down and I've created it really fast. And he was very impressed. Website's like, wow, you want a job? And so he hired me on the spot. And so that's how I ended up working on uh, movies. So this was a small studio in, in Hollywood that was, you know, subcontracted to other studios who worked on these games and commercials. One of the first projects I ever worked on was a commercial that had little frogs in them. Um, and so they're sitting around a pond, and so the frogs go, but wars, er. You know, it became a famous Super Bowl commercial. Yeah. I had no idea <laughs> at the time that that's what it was. It was just like, okay, I'm just doing computer graphics. And little did I know that years later, I would actually be responsible for the graphics for, you know, the biggest football game. And there is. Wow. So, yes. And okay, so let's talk about graphics because I think a lot of teachers maybe don't know what you mean when you say I created graphics. So yes. what is actually the process? What are the skills you need to create graphics? Oh, so that's a, that's a variety of skills because we have a different skill sets, people involved in creating graphics for um, regularly apps like um, your Microsoft Word. You have graphics because everything you see on the screen has a graphics interface, right? Um, so we've gone away from DOS, the old operating systems, to today everything we interact with, if it's on our phones, if it's on the computer screen, has a graphical user interface, a GUI. Um, and so it requires people to create these graphics. Um, and the same for games and for movies. And so you have programmers that are actually writing the code for graphics that make things run. Then you have artists that are creating the look and what does it look like and these are tend to be traditional art skills but done in a digital way so digital painting um, layout artists like you would see we used to have traditional layout artists for magazines or newspaper where people would lay this out now this all happens digitally on a computer and then you have 2d artists and 3d artists you have a different variety of artists they're all working digitally to create graphic concept artists, motion graphics, UI, user interface. And most of the artists responsible for your buttons, for example, for the menus and, and how things look. And then you have technical artists. And the technical artists, they're neither full programmers nor are full artists. And that's where I always was. I was in between. I can both program and I can create art but I was never brilliant at either one. Or I didn't want to just do, oh, I just do programming, or I just do art. I always wanted, you know, that in between. And so that's called technical artists that are helping both the programmers and the artists to, number one, communicate with each other because they do speak completely different languages. It's like, you know, asking an engineer, go and speak to a, um, a sculptor and see the conversation right. unfold. It's, going to be um, 
So you're like the bridge between the two worlds. <laughs> That's right. Yes. And helping them really integrate, not just understand each other, but make it all work together. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned some movies that mm -hmm. you were part of. What was your role on those movies? So creating graphics, essentially. So um, for the live action movies, there were, um, for example, apparel. You know, items of clothes that were worn, um, and but they didn't have a certain logo on them. And so you create the logo afterwards in the computer and put it on the clothing. You create an explosion, for example. Oh, there's you know an explosion needs to be created in um, Man in Black, for example. It's a, on the tunnel sequence as they're driving through the tunnel, they're going up the wall, upside down. Well, that's all computer graphics because. We can't really do that in real life. What? <laughs> it would be extremely challenging <laughs> uh, to do that in real life because it could be done if you reverse it, right? If you change your camera. But because in this shot, you have both cars at the bottom and cars on the top, right? They're, they're going upside down on the ceiling. So that's computer graphics. <laughs> the aliens, you see, yeah, you know, the com computer graphics. So there's a variety of different things that are all computer generated and um, cgi computer generated images and then on the 3d movies like valiant and um, and bully where the entire movie was just computer graphics mm -hmm. right there was no live action footage no um so everything had to be created from scratch from you know somebody thinking it up storyboarding it creating concept art and then going through the pipeline until you at the end have a full animated movie coming out. Was there a specific graphic or effect that was extremely difficult to create? Oh, well, there always has been throughout um, each project because um, you're constantly trying to push the envelope of what's possible, of what can be done. And the one, so in this industry, in the movie and games industry, what people rely on is not just their resume, but also their demo reel, like a portfolio that you know used to be a VHS tape, then it became a DVD, now it's just online. And I always say, well, I only have one, after I've worked on this specific project, and that's the only thing I ever show. I don't show the work from all of these games or movies that I worked on. I only show this one project because that's still almost 20 years later holds up really really well in terms of quality and what we had to do and so this is a commercial i worked on for bmw where the whole commercial is from ink when somebody writes the initial idea we're creating a new car and you see the ink flowing off the page flowing down the stairs the streets and then getting into a car park and then forming the car and so the car comes out wow. of the ink and so that was a very complicated project and technically still advanced and even today that's still something that holds up many years later as something that's worth showing and i can yeah we can a, link it mm -hmm. I, there's a link link to that yes and i'm not advertising i'm not being paid for by <laughs> or anything but it's that was just uh, one of those i still show um to the students today because when you're trying to find a job that quality matters. And when people look at your demo reel, it's not about, oh, look, you have 20 projects, but it's like, mm -hmm. show your best work, you know, and then leave it at that. 
For students that are interested in this industry uh, or maybe teachers that want to encourage kids to kind of see if this is something they want to do, what do you recommend? What advice do you have? Well, so by industry, you know, so, so first off, you know, we need to look at, okay, what are the possibilities, right? So there's, mm-hmm. there's movies, there's television, and there's streaming, um, and that there's games. And for all of these industries, there's a variety of different um, jobs and roles that are required. And so I'm going to focus on games because the games industry is bigger than television, cinema, streaming, and radio combined. Is that right? I would yes. not have thought that. Wow. Yes, the games industry is bigger than all of those others combined. And so in the games industry, you have artists, you have technical artists, you have sound engineers, you have um, sound designers, you have programmers, you have project managers, you have um, producers, you have um, accountants, you have publicists, you have marketing, advertising. I mean, anything you can imagine in a for any digital product these days, you will find that role in the games industry. And the games industry is constantly looking for new people, you know, all across um, the U.S. and all across the world. There's lots more um, opportunities and there are people able to, to meet these jobs and fill these jobs. So how do you get into the games industry? Well, I've recently written an article of, you know, how to break in the different ways. But number one, start playing games, right? And be aware and, and know what, what a game's all about. And then start designing your own games, you know, maybe modifying an existing game. So a lot of games have mods available to them where anybody can just create their own level. You know, if that's Portal, like a puzzle game, or if that's Minecraft. And so getting in the habit of that. Um, attend game jams. Um, that's small events. Um, they're either in person or online where people get together and make games for a weekend. For example, here at AM, we, our students, run the largest in person student game jam in the world, mm-hmm. um, where every year students from all over the world come to College Station for 48 hours and competing and making games. And some of them are there for the competition. Some of them are there just to learn. It's like, okay, for 48 hours, I'm going to learn how to make a game. And lots of industry professionals are there to help the students, you know, figure out how to make these games. I I really like that. And I was just imagining kids that are like playing video games and the parents are getting upset at them and like, I'm doing research. (laughs) This is for my future career. So now you just gave them all an excuse (laughs) to play more video games. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's switch now to education. So you're now working in the education space. And I think that there's a lot of hesitation with education and merging with games. So talk to me about why gamification works in education. Well, so it's, it's, I mean, there's so many different reasons for that. And there's lots of papers and research on it, why and how it actually works. But the simplest thing, you know, to very quickly illustrate it, um, imagine you're giving a lesson on, you know, the first landing of the moon. What do we have available today to engage students in that lesson. Well, you can read a book, right? Um, You can um, have a conversation about it, a lecture. Uh, We can see some video of it. 
Well, imagine if you put that in contrast to immersing somebody to actually do it for themselves. They are the astronaut in the space capsule, landing on the moon, taking the first step. And I'm not talking a simulation. The simulations are also a step up from lectures and videos and books. But in a game, because if I make a wrong move, a simulation, it ends. Uh, you know, and then people don't want to do simulations over and over again. Now, games are essentially simulations, but they're done in a way that it's fun. So if you fail, if you're like, oh, you know, we just got sucked out into space. Okay, well, let me try again, right? Mm -hmm. There's that fun element where failing is not like this oh, big punishment. I just received an F because you can only motivate somebody with so many Fs and then they usually give up instead of, oh, yeah, I've got my 10th F now in math. Now I'm really got it figured out. <laughs> they probably <No. laughs> just drop out of school. Yeah. Versus in games, they're going to continue. They're going to because the, the compelling engagement with a well-designed game. It's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat that boss. I'm going to, you know, land that landing on the moon and make that happen, you know, till I figure it out. And that perseverance until they get it. Mm -hmm. That is a true mastery. And it's not the same for every student, right? We always assume, oh, well, you know, everybody learns the same way or understands it. Well, it, it really isn't, right? We can't say, okay, two hours of homework is equal for every student. Right. Uh, some may be able to grasp concepts in 30 minutes and other may take 20 hours till they get it. And so that's where games are really, really good vehicles because they're literally adapting to the student. Because if you master something in 30 minutes, well, you're on to the next level. If it takes you 20 tries, that's okay. It took you 20 tries, but you still mastered it at the end, and now you're on to the next level. So which and, is you know a huge benefit. But and I can, where have you used it? So can you give me some examples maybe of the games you've created? Yes. So we, we started games here in the lab for our students, a large lecture classes, 2,000 years of history and two semesters that, you know, there's only so much engagement you can get. And so a professor said, but I, how can I engage 150 students with this content instead of just bang, 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 here's like one lecture after another and racing through this content. And so that's where we created our first game. And immediately once it was used, the professor came back, I can't believe it. The students are walking in, they're talking about my wow. subject, not a Netflix show from last night, you know, and they're fully engaged. It's like, yes, you know, wow. um, so it's one example. Another one is calculus. A lot of students struggle with calculus. In the US, in Europe, um, up to 38% of students actually fail calculus. And if you fail calculus, then any STEM degree is immediately off the table. Mm -hmm. And so we've created a game to help students with calculus that you know, starts right at the beginning with limits. And we've we've measured it and seen um, the success of students, specifically with female students and underrepresented minorities. They had a much bigger gain um, improvement after playing the game versus white male students. Because there's a lot of notions that, oh, well, video games are only for the guys. You right. Know? but not for um, minorities or not for females. Well, it's actually not necessarily true. 
I remember struggling with calculus and you can't learn it from a lecture. It, it just doesn't work. And so you have to go find YouTube videos or Khan Academy or something to figure it out. And I can imagine that it would be so amazing to have this game. Yes. And so is it like, are you, how do, I'm trying to visualize how a game would look. Are you like in this different world? Like what's the scenery? Yeah. So, so you are um, you're an explorer in space Ooh, okay. and you wake, you wake up on another planet so it's very fitting to us yes <laughs> um, as equa and so equa wakes up on another planet and she discovers there's this advanced civilization but they're all gone they're all vanished and so now she is trying to figure out what happened and as she is trying to uncover the mystery of the planet and the civilization she's essentially using math and using calculus to advance herself through the different levels. Wow. But it's not in an obvious way. It's not in a way, here, solve this equation and then you can move on. It's built into the environment. So she is manipulating the environment using math. And at the beginning, players don't even realize they're manipulating functions, that they're changing graphs, that they're actually using math. They're just moving some sliders on the screen. But as they're playing over and over, um, and as through the scaffolding, the concepts are being enforced and, you know, being, you know, you're going deeper and deeper into it. They're really coming out of it. It's like, okay, we understand what limits are and so on. And limits is a foundation of calculus. Mm -hmm. And so research has shown that if students understand limits, they're going to do so much better in the rest of the calculus series. Okay. That's like way better than I was imagining. Because when I think of math games, I think of here's an equation, solve it. You get five points. Hooray, right? <laughs> so this is like a Hollywood movie. So now yes. I get it. So you took your like career background in graphics and effects and stories and art and you put it in a way where the kids are like in the story and they're having to use calculus. That is incredible. Yes. And that was the idea behind it. I mean, I've been wanting to do or use games for education ever since I played my first game or created, you know, the first graphics on the screen. And I always found that games are such a great vehicle to help anybody learn something. But I wasn't able to do that. So while I was involved in education over the last 30 years in one aspect or another, and I even tried EA to make educational games. I said, like, hey, we should make a calculus game. And I was like, oh, no, no, you can't make calculus fun. And, you know, it doesn't make any money. Well, not making money, that's still true. But that same executive has now said, oh, okay, I guess you can make it fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a hard market. And so is Triceum focused on education games? That That is correct, yes. So Triceum so, is a spin-off company from the lab. Because in the lab, when we created the first game, we then try to find a partner that would take it, you know, like a textbook publisher and say like, okay, um, take this and, and bring it to the students because we don't just want it for our faculty, but we want to share that with other faculty and other students because they've now heard about it and wanted to use it. And we just couldn't come to an arrangement that was, you know, working out for everybody. So then A&M said, well, why don't you just set up a company that does it? And so that's how Triceum was formed as a spin-off to maintain and support the games that have been developed um, in the lab. Because teachers and students need support. You can't just, okay, well, here's a game. Well, 
they're being used for grading. They're, they're being used, you know, fully embedded in the curriculum. And, you know, if students do their homework or the teachers, you know, has to do their grading and so on, well, they need to support. You can't leave them to their own devices. Plus, software needs to be updated regularly or it will no longer work. And so that's what Triceum essentially is doing. And if uh, teachers are interested in learning more about game-based learning, what opportunities do you have? Yeah, I mean, so <clears throat> first off, obviously they can go to the Triceum website and there's free demos available. They can just download them and look at the content, get an idea uh, what these games are about. The games are all free for teachers to use, not for students. So there's a small charge um, for, for the students so that we can cover at least some of the costs to do yeah. Um, in terms of just general game-based learning, we've created an online program in the lab at Texas A&M where teachers can um, sign up and get um, professional development credits or continuing education credits and really go through an entire course on an introduction to game-based learning. What is game-based learning? How do you use it? How do you talk about it? And what's the difference between gamification and game-based learning? Um, there's several industry experts that are part of the course, um, interviews, and then there's a live session regularly where they can interact with other people that previously have taken the course or myself, if they have questions, if they need help implementing their own games into classes. Are they, is, is it, in, so it's a live virtual, right? So you can be anywhere. Yes, take, you, you right. can be anywhere and you can take it at your leisure anytime. There's okay. not a set time, so it's asynchronous, but there is a weekly live session. Or I try to make it weekly, but because I'm the only guy doing it and you know, I don't, um, you know, it's a volunteer thing. I'm not necessarily able to have every week a live session, but we have a Discord server where people can interact with each other and with me. So outside of the course, once they've finished the course, and then we're developing several new courses, like how to implement the games into your classroom, how to make your own games um, from simple paper and pencil, you know, with your students. Because um, that's that's the highest level if you can get your students to actually make games on the subject you're teaching. I mean, you will see the most transformed classroom ever. What ages do you recommend to introduce game-based learning? Oh, well, um, it's well, currently, you know, two and three-year-olds starting with game-based learning. Right? A lot of parents give, you know, an iPad or a phone. Um, to their kids and there's learning games for really young children at some point you know and it goes on through elementary school there's a lot of content available and people feel like yeah that's that's good but now in middle school high school college well we, we need to get serious we, we can't have games anymore that's like okay i you know it's completely not understandable to me because it's like saying oh well, now let's get rid of the books because we've been reading Harry Potter and surely that cannot be good for class or Tom Sawyer because that's an entertainment book. So we shouldn't be using that for class anymore. So let's do away with books. That's like, you know, why, why are we doing away with games? Now, there isn't unfortunately a lot of content games, educational games out there for high school students, for college students, but you could use entertainment games. 
And, you know, that even if they're wrong on the historical aspect, well, your students can discover what is wrong and why is it wrong and what should be right. Right. So there's so many different ways you can actually use games and not just think of games as, oh, it's just a, you know, a form of entertainment. A lot of people say a waste of time. You know, games is another medium, just like books. We have textbooks, we have cookbooks, we have fiction, nonfiction. And so that's the same with games. We have so many different types of games. So they're really useful for all ages, from, you know, two years all the way to eight-year-olds playing games and getting a lot of benefits out of that. Yeah, that's a, I love this a conversation. And I have so many more questions and I feel like I just have to bring you back, Andre, if you're up for it. Happy um, to come back anytime. <laughs> yes. But thank you for sharing that perspective because I've had some experience, you know, and you talked about the difference between gamification and game-based learning. And I think I want that to be your topic for next okay. time sure. because I still don't think I fully understand the difference because I've definitely gamified things that we've done, you know, with our students, but it's very different than what you described with this calculus (laughs) game. Yes. And so I I think this is a very fascinating conversation. And I see this, you're kind of on the leading edge. Like this seems like to be the next movement here in education as we get all these new technologies. And uh, most of our schools now, kids have iPads and Chromebooks and so much access to technology and teachers have no idea what to do with it. And so I think this could be an answer for a lot of teachers. Um, And so we'll link all the the things that you talked about, including this uh, professional development course. And I can share any questions um, that we get. So if teachers have questions, I'm happy to to send them your way. Yeah, I'm happy to answer and help anybody that that wants to, you know, embrace this. I mean, I'm all summer long, I'm flying all over um, to give free workshops to teachers on how to, you know, bring game-based um, learning into their classrooms and design games uh, with everyday utensils, you know, with, with their students. So it can be low-tech as well. Oh, oh totally. Yes, absolutely. Because uh, remember that every game is a learning game. There isn't a single game, no matter what, if it's a card game, dice game, board game, video game, there's not a single game that you can you can play without having first learned how to play. Mm. So the game has to teach you one way or another how to play itself. That may be a tutorial, it may be another person, but you have to learn first how to play. So every game that's played anywhere on this planet is a learning game by its very nature. It wouldn't be played or couldn't be played. If you don't learn how to play it, then, you know. What's your favorite low-tech or no-tech game? My favorite low-tech, no-tech game. Ooh. It's, well, I I really like Mexican Train. So Dominoes. Yes. Okay. So, uh, but then I also like Shoots and Ladders. I like Trivial Pursuit. You know, I like Dominion. So I like a variety of different, I actually, you know what? One of my favorite games I got introduced to by my students who came to me and said, oh, we've got this board game. Have you heard of it? I was like, no. I said, oh, yeah, you play against the board. I said, what? Yeah, you play against the board. Right? So in computer games, you're like, oh, you play against the computer. Right, right. Like, and I understand that. You know, you program that. But how can you play against a static board? How, how does a board react to what I'm doing? Right. It doesn't know what I'm going to do. 
that's that's impossible. No way. So we got the game. We played it. And I was like, oh my god, this is fantastic. There's actually as a team, you play together against the board, and it's really difficult. What's it called? <laughs> <laughs> Pandemic. Oh. Yes, pandemic. So you're actually, it's very fitting. Yeah. Uh, these, these days, you are as a team playing together to try to avoid a, you know, spread of virus um, across the planet. And so that's the first board game I ever played where you're actually playing against the board. And that's just fascinating. There's some others out there as well. So I would probably say that is my favorite game. Hmm. Non, okay. Non- uh, low tech game. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I, I will have not heard of that one, but that is very <laughs> fitting right now. Well, thank you, Andre, for joining me here on the STEM space. And like I said, if anyone out there has any questions for Andre, just let us know and I'll send him his way and hopefully I can bring him back. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Do 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 do